Wow, it is so good to be here with you guys here in Tyler, Texas. Um, can I just say how awesome that moment was? Do you guys realize how cool that moment was that we just shared together just a little bit ago? That holy huddle that just took place? You know, I was sitting back there going like, you know, there are so many Christians that never get that opportunity to be part of a body that is sending people into the world. They get to be a part of like that family moment where there's like, Marvin, like you were describing, those mixed emotions of going like, I love that you're listening to God, but I hate that you're having to leave. I mean, we've, we've gone through that experience of, of having to say goodbye to good friends. And, it's, and it can be painful, but beautiful and, or like brutal, right? It's brutal and beautiful all at the same time. And, but to be here, what an honor to be here this, that, this moment that you guys send off one of your loved ones, one of your good friends is amazing. It speaks very, very highly of you guys as a church community that you would be that open-handed with the world and say, we're not just going to send you, we're not just going to pray and pay. and, and No, we're, we're going to send one of our very, very own. Uh, that's huge. It says a lot about you guys. You know what else I've noticed about you guys just being here for about a, an hour and a half that, that I have is that you guys are passionate people who are committed to love and growing the church. And I know that just because of all the little kids running around. Like, wow, this is like church growth, uh, um, organic style. So, you know, before I get started, I want to thank Pastor Tony, Pastor Melissa for, for this opportunity, for really inviting us here. Marvin and Andrea also. Yes, please, a hand clap for them, right? Aren't they awesome? They, I just got to know them today, and they are awesome. Thank you so much for allowing us to be here. I know, you know, like Marvin said, he knows a lot of missionaries, in a lot of places. This guy is one of the most well-connected guys that I know. And he knows people that are doing amazing things all over the world. So for him to extend this invitation for you guys to open up the doors for us to be here is truly an honor. Uh, it's a tall order that we don't take lightly. Um, we're so, so thankful to be here with you guys. I also want to thank all of you, SOMA community, for having this time, for making a time in your church life and family life to discuss missions for an entire month. Uh, that's huge. That, that says a lot about you guys, too, about how committed you are, not just about spreading the gospel here in Tyler, but getting it out everywhere. So, bravo. Thank you guys for, you know, for, for missionaries coming into a community like this. It's just a breath of fresh air to go, they get it. They get it. They understand. That's, that's awesome. Um, you know, before I, I share a few thoughts from Scripture, I'd like to share a little bit about our story, Stephanie and I's story, because really... Um, it's ironic that I'm up here speaking about missions to a church that has a solid tradition in missions because Stephanie and I, we are the least likely to be missionaries. We are the least likely to be standing up here sharing this with you because the fact is that Stephanie and I, neither of us wanted ever to become missionaries. Can I, can I confess that to all of you? Like, like, we loved God. We wanted to serve him. We knew we had a calling. But missionaries, it was like, no, please send someone else. And I'll tell you why. For myself, I was a missionary kid. I grew up in Peru from 1987 to 96 in the darkest time of Peruvian history where there was a civil war. There was the Shining Path, which was the most violent terrorist group in South America that were doing terrible things. We lived, I mean, Domenica, my friend Domenica here, she's from Peru as well. We've known... How cool is it that we're here, Domenica? And Tyler, de todos los lugares del mundo. 
But we lived in a time where, I mean, car bombs were like every month. There was no electricity. There was no water at times. And as a kid, there was no candy. No candy. There was, I mean, there was like lack of all these. We had to like study with uh, candles, I remember. Diarrhea was a very frequent thing, I I remember as well. So when I left Peru, it was kind of like one of those peace out. Been there, done that, don't like the t-shirt, ain't going to wear it. I did my time, now it's your turn. That's how I felt. And so, and I remember Stephanie also, she, she kind of stumbled upon the Fox Book of Martyrs a little too early in life. Because she was an avid reader, she read it and she was totally scarred. And so she developed this like intense phobia, actually two phobias that she had in life that were real. One of them was drowning and the other one was Mishinoya which is this paranoia that God's going to call you to be a missionary. And so anytime a missionary would speak, she would, like, start sweating and shaking and, and like, have to go to the bathroom because she was afraid God would call her to the mission field. And so, you know, we've been married 15 years, and I remember, like, when we were dating and talking about marriage, we had to be sure. Like, we had to talk about this clearly and intentionally to make sure that amongst this calling God had on our life, there wasn't, like, that, like, sneaky small print you know, like it would say like missionary in really small print. Like we were like, no, like I need to find someone who's beautiful, who loves God, who has a calling and who has missionoia. And bingo, I found her. I mean, the most beautiful person I'd ever seen in my life. She loved, I'm like, glory to God. She does not want to be a missionary because I don't either. And so we had this like, till death do us part, unless we become missionaries, um, commitment to one another. And, it, and, it, and it's, it's amazing. We, we served at a church in the Twin Cities uh, for a long time together, over 10 years. We were on staff over there. There's a series of events. And, and I won't get into the details of how God got us to Peru because it's a really fun story. We don't have time for it. But let me just say, we didn't go kicking and screaming. Because what we didn't factor into this commitment that we had to one another is that God tells us in his word that perfect love casts out fear even the fear of becoming a missionary. And God, he's really, really good at turning stubborn hearts towards his plan. And so when we went to Peru, we didn't go kicking and screaming and going like, why, God, did you send us? No, we went like going like, man, we are excited to see what God is going to do. So I'm just sharing all this with you because I think someone here needs to hear it. Like if you're afraid, that's okay for right now. God can turn hearts. He can do marvelous things and it's, so it's very strange for me to be up here telling you that I am excited about what God is doing through missions all over the world, particularly passionate, of course, about what he's doing in Lima, Peru, through a, a boatload of crazy Christians who are like, you know what, this is our turn, this is our time, and thank you, God, for choosing us. So, um, I don't know, I just think someone out there needs to, needs to consider that. But, you know, I was, I was recently at a men's conference, actually, we, we've been up here in the States for about two weeks. I was in Dallas for this men's conference. Then we went to Birmingham for another conference. And then now we're here. We leave uh, to Lima tomorrow uh, morning. But at this men's conference, I remember there's this gentleman who, who was, and I, I can't remember exactly what his point with it was because I was translating for a group of five Colombians that were with us. But he talked about uh, this observation that he had made that really captures, and I'm going to share it with you in just a moment, it really captures the word that I want to use to describe what's happening on the mission field. And really, Marvin, you can back me up here, missions all over the place. And that word is change. Change. There is like this this exciting 
move of change that really is, is it's, it's not very different from what's happening even in the church here in North America. You know, the, the changes that we're seeing God do, this like fresh move that he's doing where there's, you know, like we all can see it. There's things that are, we're so glad that have changed. There's things that we are excited that are changing. And there's things that we're looking at going like, Lord, please change that. Well, it's not just happening here in the church in, 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 in the United States. This is happening all over the world. It's kind of like, and, and, and I use it very uh, uh, gingerly, but the word reformation. It, it's like this reformation, no less significant than what happened in the days of Martin Luther, of this like, th- this like repositioning and refocusing on the reason God has called us his church. The reason that we can identify as his hands and feet and mouthpiece, the reason we have a call to go into all the world, not just Tyler, not just Lima, but all over the place. So there's, there, there's this reformation going on, and I'm so thankful it's not bloody like it was in the days of Martin Luther, but it's no less significant, where people are starting to, you know, it, 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 to, to realize, man, it, it's either about Jesus this is really either about his kingdom or it's really about us preserving our own subcultures and our own churches and our own programs and methods and things that we've somehow married or shackled ourselves to. This really either is about the kingdom and the king who is over that kingdom and that expanding, beautiful thing that's taking place in the earth or it really is about us and our preferences and about what we want for us and so there's a group of people going like, no, uh-uh. Jesus is all about his church. Jesus is passionately committed to this rescuing of mankind. I mean, he didn't just come and die and say, well, whatever happens, happens. No, he did it for a reason, and he calls people, and he puts that fire on the inside of us because he is desperately committed to rescuing people all over the world. And so we're seeing like, like crazy missionaries all over the world waking up and going like, man, I'm all in. It's, we're going to make this happen. Whatever it takes, we're going to make this happen. And so it really is, in my opinion, one of the most exciting times to be alive. Because listen, it's not just the missionaries who are somewhere else. It's all of us. We all get to live this out together. We all have a part to play we all have something that we get to do in what is called missions. You know, it's interesting. Um, we were in the hotel in Birmingham just like three days ago. And we're sitting in the, in the lobby waiting for the, our host to come pick us up because we were doing some mission sessions in an in a internship, in a college setting there in Birmingham. And we were watching the news. And there's this, like, news. I think it was in the Philippines or somewhere in Southeast Asia where they had footage of a little two-year-old who had fallen into a well. And the weird thing about this well, it's not like a well that you'd imagine like with like the stone things and it's a big well. It looked like a big old tube. But the tube was about, it just looked like a big tube in the ground. And this little girl had, whoop, had fallen in. And so they were going to rescue the little girl. And so there's like these military people. And so happened that they had one skinny dude. I mean, he got chosen because he doesn't have broad shoulders. I mean, this, this is a little skinny dude that, how many of you know that there's a lot of guys that were like going, who's going down in the little tube? Sure, I'd totally go. I would go myself, but you know, I, I, I just don't know if it'll work. And the skinny dudes, they're like, oh, okay, I guess I'll do it. But what they did is they tied a rope 
to both his ankles. And he had to go down headfirst into a hole with oxygen because there wasn't a lot of oxygen. He had to go like hands first so that he could grab the little kid and pull the little kid out. But here's what I'm getting at. There were like 10 guys holding onto that rope. So for the one guy that they sent down for the rescue, there was 10 others holding the rope. And listen to me, I, those 10 guys had an equally important job as the guy that went down the tube. You know what I mean? They couldn't like be like, like checking their Twitter feed, like Instagramming. Like they had to hold on and be committed to getting their buddy out of the hole and rescuing the You see what I'm saying? So these are exciting times. This is a time that we all get to be a part of this. Our friends Nick and, remind me her name, Tabitha. You guys today just put a rope around their feet. Like on Monday, they go, and you guys get to have that commitment to your friends of hanging on to that rope with dear life through your prayers and your friendship and your Facebook notes that you send them and all the different encouragement that they will need at just the right time. Are you guys with me? So these are exciting times. All right, but, but, but back to this conference, because this guy, when, when he was there, he makes mention of seeing eye dogs. Have you guys seen the seeing eye dogs? They, like, they, they look like very regal animals that are, they sometimes seem more intelligent than you. Been there? And he was talking about seeing eye dogs, and he knew a trainer that would get these dogs prepared for this. And he asked this trainer, like, what's the hardest thing to do in training and getting a seeing eye dog from dog to seeing eye dog? And this, this person said, well, hands down, the most difficult part of the tra- training is helping that animal change its perspective. And he goes, and, and then there's a reason why, on average, it costs about $42,000 to get a dog from dog to seeing eye dog. And one of the trickiest things is to get the dogs, because most dogs have kind of like the sight line of about three feet, is what they typically see. And they need to teach them to look up and to include in their perspective all the way up to about six feet for them to be effective. They have to train the dog to take on a different perspective. And I know our our wheels are going, and this analogy would go great with a whole bunch of areas of our life, right? We We can apply this to marriage, taking on a godly perspective of why we've committed to one another. We could talk about like our businesses, our families, and all these different things about how it's important for us to let the Holy Spirit change our perspective so we're not just seeing at our level, but that we take on a perspective that God sees, correct? But what I'm here today to say is in the area of missions, it's so important that we allow the Holy Spirit to allow us to start looking up, to take on a bigger, broader perspective of what he's doing. And I say that because in the missions world, there are so many uh, like, like established milestone, traditional ways of doing things that just make me want to rip my hair out. And so what I want to do is I want to talk about really quickly three of these different perspectives that, that I believe that, that God wants us to start seeing. Not just the people, not just us as missionaries that go but all of our friends like you who stay, who hold on to the rope for us. And let me just say, some of these are not easy. Some of them are not even cheap. But all of them are very, very important for us to effectively do what God has called us to do, no matter where we're at. You know, I can't tell you how many times I've heard from uh, sometimes seasoned missionaries 
that go, well, you know what, I, I don't know. Well, well, back when I was a missionary in Peru in the 50s, 60s, 70s, and 80s, it just, that just wasn't necessary. And, and I want to go, well, the mission field of Peru is nothing like it was in the 80s and 90s. And I say it as a missionary kid who lived there in the 80s and 90s. I mean, the, Tyler, Texas is not the same today as it was back in the 80s and 90s. And You know what I'm saying? Like, but if we're not careful, we get like time warped. We get stuck in, well, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. It may not be broken. God may have done wonderful things through that, but why not make it faster, better? Because, you know, I don't know. Better is just better, typically. Better. So choose better. Like, why not? Like, why are we asking ourselves why when we can say why not? Why not make this better? Because better is better. So the first thing I want to I mention is this idea of risk. In having the people that hold on to the rope be totally fascinated with risk. And see, the irony that I see in this is in the missions world, there's a deep tradition of risking and risk takers. I mean, people that have done some pretty crazy things to get people to hear the gospel message. One of the things that comes to mind is, is the story of the five missionaries in Ecuador. I don't know, have you guys seen the edge of the spear or the edge of the sword or something? It's the story of the five missionaries who are reaching out to an extraordinarily violent tribe in Ecuador. And they had a plane, and so they're like, I mean, how do we reach these people? And so they take this plane, and they make it go in circles, and they drop this uh, basket full of gifts. And I mean, they got creative. They started taking risks. But they took this enormous risk one day after they'd given them lots of gifts to go and see them face to face. I mean, these people were risking life and limb because they ended up paying with their life. All five of these missionaries at that point were killed. They were slaughtered by, these, uh, by this tribe. They risked. And it was even a crazier risk to me, I believe, is when Elizabeth, the wife of one of these, one of the fallen, returns to the very same tribe that slaughtered her husband to tell them the story of a God who loves. He loves so persistently. He loves so in your face that he turns his enemies into family. A God who forgives and loves and redeems and makes his own. And guess what? This woman, one, wins over a tribe for the kingdom. So we've got, we, we, got, we, we go all day long with stories like this. But what has happened? There's so many missionaries that they just become like, uh, I don't know, like settled in like blah. Where, and you know what it is? They stop risk-taking. And I've had conversations with missionaries because they're scared that the ones holding the rope, their supporters won't back them up. No, no, let's play it safe because then they won't let go. But like, what if I fail? You know what's happened? There's so many congregations that have walked away from their brothers when they fall on their face. They try something new. They take a risk, and it just doesn't work out. And boom, face plant. Let me just say something to you. With the missionaries that you support, don't walk away when they fail. Don't put your checkbooks away when they fail. Run to them. Pick them up wipe the blood from their nose, and then say, dude, that was awesome. Of course, not the part where you face planted, but, but that look in your eyes going like, man, I don't know if it's just going to be a great step of faith, but I'm going to do it. 
I'm scared, but I'm going to do it anyway. This is going to be hard, but I'm going to do it anyway. Because when you do that, you go, like, all right. Now, like, what can we learn from this face plant? Because you're going to do it again, right? Like, like you're going to get on the slide and you're just going to, right? You're, you're going to do this again. But there's so many missionaries out there that are just afraid of, like, what, what am I going to do? Like, like, can I Facebook post this? Like, is it going to turn off my supporters? And I want to, I want to propose to you guys. Support them. Encourage the risk takers. The creative ministry side that God's put on the inside of them. Because you will see awesome stories come from it. All right? All right, so I'll keep moving on here. Uh, risk takers. This is the second one. Um, another change in our perspective has to do with traditions. And traditions that are established that yield to a greater purpose. What do I mean by that? I mean that there's some things that, you know, I pray some traditions have a face-to-face moment with Jesus. An encounter with a true purpose. You know, it's in Mark 7. You can read it at home. I'm going to read one verse from Mark 7, but I'll give you the context here real quick. In Mark 7, Jesus has this interaction with Pharisees. And they're kind of talking about some of the things that they've done and that they do. And, you know, Jesus is kind of challenging them on it. A a couple of the things, the traditions that they had. And he gets to this moment in this conversation. And it's in Mark chapter 7, verse 13. He he finally just out and says it. I love Jesus because he just, you know, he just says it. And he says, thus, and he's talking about all these traditions that they have. Thus you nullify. Say nullify. Thus you nullify the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down, and you do many things like that. He says, like, like you've missed the point. Like, you ruined it. Like, there was power, but now you nullified it because it's your tradition, and really it's only tradition that you're handing down. Now listen to me. I don't think Jesus is saying, hey, I have a problem with tradition. Because there's some tradition. How many like Christmas? I like that tradition. Turkey on Thanksgiving is a—it's a godly tradition. We—I mean, this tradition of getting together as as church and, and having these moments of worship—that's a great tradition. Celebrating the Lord's Supper together—that's a great tradition. As long, listen to me, as long as it always points to something greater. This reminds us of that. This time has everything to do with Jesus and keeping helping us. As the Bible says, to keep our eyes fixed upon him, the author and finisher of our faith. When we take communion, Jesus didn't say, hey, do this in remember, remembrance of you. Do this in remembrance of your stupid stuff. Do this in remembrance of all your sins. No, he says, do this in remembrance of me. And so when we have that bread and that, that, the juice, it's just bread and juice, friends. But what is it? It's a tradition that points us to and reminds us of something. But when our traditions become about our traditions, they're powerless. They're empty. They no longer make sense. And here's what's cool, is on the mission field, we're starting to see that people don't reject Jesus. They really are rejecting these empty traditions because they don't get it anymore. There's a new generation that's like, uh, what? I'll I'll give you an example. I was, earlier this year, I was in in the jungle, uh, city of Iquitos. A friend of mine had invited me to kind of like be mediator to this enormous fight that had broken out in his church between these older pastors that had been around for forever and these newer pastors that were just like totally geeked out about preaching Jesus. 
And the fight was based upon two different things. Number one, the older pastors were totally ticked off that, that new youth was allowed to enter the church with shorts and tank tops. <sighs> like, really? As if this was the blazing Amazon jungle in the middle of the... Wait, it was. The second thing was... Now, this is going to shock all of us. The Bible app. The Bible on your phone. Lord have mercy. It's the end times. Blood moons and Bible apps. And then even realize that, you know, their own printed Bible is a product of modern technology. A German called Gutenberg produced it in 1490s, wasn't it? This is modern technology. Now, this is good, but the Bible app, well, bless the Lord, oh my soul. So they had this, I mean, youth had to come in without their, and here's the crazy thing, and this is what, you know, we want the whole entire world to know. You can go right now to the jungle of Peru, the city of Iquitos, and most youth have in their hand, with their smartphones and their data plans, more information readily available than the President of the United States did two decades ago. And now we can, like, we can lead a youth to, to, to Christ, and then like, they're like, I need a Bible, but I don't have money, or I need a Bible, and, and, and I don't have to hope that they're going to go buy one. I mean, like, bro, just give me your phone. Just, yeah, keep talking to me. Tell me your story. There you go. It's in your own language. Read it on the bus. But there's these traditions sometimes that we're just like, well, no. They got to wear a suit. They got to wear a tie. And bless the Lord, turn your phone off. You know, I remember when we first moved down to Peru, we were asked to open up a campus for, for a church. And, and, the, and here, let me just say this as, as, as an aside. We are so thankful for Marvin and Nate, Elias, and their team, and for modern day. This is, I mean, they are making an enormous difference on the mission field. You guys want to help missionaries out? You help their family out. You make sure they're taken care of. Because they are taking care of so many of us with things that we just want to go, Marvin, you get it. Thank you, Jesus. You get it. So I remember we go to, to, to plant this church, and, and I write our mission-sending agency, and I, and I tell them about this, the one that we were using at the time and or working with, and, and they write me back this letter that says, you know, hey, we don't have the funds to help you, but even if we did, we wouldn't give it to you. Because you're not a national. And we only believe that nationals should be opening up churches. What? Really? Like, I got Peruvian blood running through my veins. But I have an American passport. I'm not a Peruvian citizen. I live there on a visa. So, man, I got stuck in the cracks. I mean, I'm good enough as an American to dig a well, start a clinic, or help a church. But I can't start a, I mean, a school, but I can't start a church? Really? But listen to me, there's so many missions agencies that have this like nationalistic movement. Unless you're national, then God can't use you to start a church. Baloney. The church we serve at, Camino de Vida, the pastors are two, and you don't get, get much more white than the both of them. They're from San Diego. They moved there 30 years ago. They still preach in Spanish, no cierto Dominica, with a thick American accent. But they've got one of the most influential churches in all of Latin America. We run 16 services a weekend, three different locations. We're about to open the fourth. The place is booming with young 
people, we do, we, it, it, it's, it's amazing to see. Listen, the way he says it, it's not the west to the rest or the east to the least. It's everyone to everyone. The, we are part of a kingdom, not nationalities. Before I am an American, I am a Christian. Right? And so there, there's these things that we just need to challenge, Marvin. We just, need to, we just need to think through them. And we need to give us a little bit more space to do, in this time, the things that God is calling us to do. You know, it's in, in, in Matthew chapter 23. It's an interesting chapter where Jesus has the seven woes to you that he says to the teachers of the law. He, he, just, he just gets really ornery at this moment. He's like, woes to you. But what I love about it is he asks them this question, for what is more important? Now, he's talking about the gold and the altar and the, what's more important, the gold or the altar and the gold, it's, those kind of things. But like, really, what's more important? When, when, when we see our missionary, like, what is more important? Is the youth more important or the shorts that the youth is wearing when the Holy Spirit brings them to our church? Like, like what's more important? And I think we will be able to elevate our perspective a little bit more when we can answer that question and go, you know what? It's people. People are important. His church is important. I mean, the church is the future of missions. God wants his church all over the place. He wants this kind of expression and opportunity, not just for you, but for everyone. Last thing I want to share, I know I'm probably going, I don't have a clock. Am I good? Just one more. Okay. Um, and I really think this is one of the biggest things that, that, that we all, and I've had conversations with missionaries where, I, you know, you can kind of tell, maybe this needs a little bit of switch. And it's this perspective, um, let me just say it this way. And not just for missionaries, but for all of you, no matter what it is that you are doing for God. That we must work from, or let me just say it this way, work in a place of favor and not for a place of favor. That right there makes a world of difference. And it's 1 John chapter 4. Verse 10, it's a bedrock verse for our family, especially since we've moved overseas. I remind ourselves of this constantly because I don't want to wake up someday and have that, like, like just that nasty, prideful spirit of, like, well, I'm just better than all of you. Because I'm a missionary, and you all know God loves missionaries more. I'm the super Christian, you second-rate citizens, you of the kingdom. You know what I'm saying? Where I'm doing what I'm doing because I'm going to now have a better place of favor. No, listen, all of us share the same place of favor. It's called in Christ. And what we do for him is born out of the fact that he's already done, did something for us. I'm not trying to get something from God when the Bible is clear that he already gave me his very best in all in Christ. The book of Colossians tells us about it. Like, it's wild. He just said, it pleased the Father to put the Godhead in Christ. And Pastor Tony, you know he put Christ? In me. In you. So if he, what am I missing? If I've got the fullness of the Godhead in Christ, in Christ, what am I missing? But I find, and there, there are people out there, not just on the mission field, but here in churches, that are doing what they do as a petition for God to do something for them. Like, like, God, I'm going to do this so you can heal my kid. God, I'm going to do this so you can give me a better house. 
God, I'm going to do this so that, I don't know, my marriage will go with I'm going to do something. I'll take the first step, and then you take the second step. When the whole message of the gospel is a response. Like we do something because he did something. And he didn't have to do it. He didn't have to die for you or me. And, and, and the crazy thing is when he did that for us, because the Bible is very, very clear, particularly in this, this chapter. It says that we love him because he first loved us when we were unlovable. And so when, and, and this difference is huge because it makes that differentiation between the Christian or missionary martyr. You know what I mean? That every single one of their posts or newsletters is like, I'm dying. I'm suffering for Jesus in Hawaii, right? I'm suffering for Jesus. I'm not, look, the gospel message is not how much Danny and Stephanie sacrificed or how much they suffer. Because that rhetoric has no power to save anyone. The gospel message is that Jesus suffered and he sacrificed for me. Like he did it. He took the first step. Anything that I do or anything that you do is the second step. So anytime Pastor Tony's like, hey, I want you to join the team. I want you to do this. Don't ever think in your mind, well, all right, then I'll take the first step. and We'll see what God does. Are you kidding? He took the first step. If it wasn't for what he did for us, and he did it good. He did it so good that we can say it's sufficient. Like whether we take it or not, I'm already loved. But because I'm loved, I'm in, like, like I don't know how to stop that. It's like an overflow. It's like I, I, even when people hurt me, even when people do us wrong, we just keep, we keep doing that annoying thing of gracefully giving and giving and giving, and we keep proclaiming, why? Because we freely received, so freely we can give, correct? So listen to what it says. Because, and let me just say this. If you talk to someone, it's like, well, we have to. We have, no, you don't. You don't have to do a thing. You get to. You can sit on your couch, eat pizza, and play PlayStation the rest of your life. And let me assure you one thing. God loves you, and I'll see you in heaven. But you're going to have a really stinky pizza life here. I'm going to tell you what's really exciting is when you say yes to the Holy Spirit. When you're like, oh, really? There's more than just PlayStation and pizza? Like, like there's warm pizza? It's not always cold? Like, like when we do things for him because we, out of love, not to gain love, because we are favored, not to receive favor, it changes everything. Look what it says here. It says, in this is real love. Y'all want to know what real love is? Because it tells us right here. And this is not our human love, our prejudiced love, the love that we kind of give someone hoping to get something back. No, there's a divine love, and it's going to tell us what it is. In this is real love. I love what it says next. It's like this big old comma. Not that we loved God. You know, I used to be that guy that used to be so impressed with what I did for God. So impressed. And then I realized God wasn't impressed at all. Seriously. He's always been impressed of what Jesus has done for me. And he's impressed about what Jesus is doing through me and in me. He says, not that we love God, but that he loved us. You guys, this is crazy. I don't know if you know yourself well enough, but I know myself well enough. He loved me. He loves me. And he will, it's his promise, he will eternally love me. That crazy thought makes me crazy. 
So like what? God, where are you going today? Jesus, what you up to? Because I'm going with you. What you going to be doing? Because, I'm, man, I'm, t- I'm, I'm tagging along. Who are you going to bless? Because I want to bless them. Who are you going to encourage? Because I want to see you do it. I, you can use me if you want. It's not what we do. It's what he has done. And when we settle on what he has done, it makes us want to let him do something through us. And then we don't live the annoying Christian martyr thing. We live with joy. We live with peace. We're not like spiritually anxious of like, did I, I don't know, Marvin, did I, did, I, did I lead enough people to the Lord? Did I pray long enough? I don't know if I did enough. It helps us realize, no, he did enough. He did enough for me to walk confidently, excitedly, with expectation that he's going to do something today. It makes all the difference. And I believe when we start getting this perspective change, we start seeing things the way God sees us. Like, man, he wants us to take some risks. And guess what? We are going to fail sometimes. But let's learn from the failures and let's just, let's do it again. Let, let's start like, like asking ourselves a question, like why do we do what we do? And really, I mean, because I mean, here's the deal. For some people, like, like people are just a means to an end. Like we just need someone to be generous with so that God will give us another jewel in our crown. Right? I, I'm gonna, like, can you come over here? Can I give you some shoes just so I feel better about myself? You, friends, it's chocolate-covered poop. Selfless on the outside. Selfish on the inside. No, no, no. People are not a means to the end. People are the reason. The whole entire reason. I mean, when we start, like, identifying the whys behind the whats, and then we start realizing, you know what? Jesus, at the end of the day, you are my all in all. You are my sufficiency. You are my more than enough. So even if today I didn't just do it right, even today as I'm still trying to figure out this culture, and I may have just, you know, like when, when Stephanie was learning Spanish and she asked the gals for pea instead of flour, you know, like those, like those things that get caught in translation where you're just like, oh, I hope I didn't. Have... No, even when we have those moments that we can go like, you know what? Jesus, you're enough. Like, I can go to bed today knowing that maybe it just didn't work out the way I wanted it, but I'm going to trust that you're doing something. I mean, it just, it just gets exciting. And I'm going to shut up now. But before I do, I want to pray for each and every one of you. Can you buy your-